Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Those are verses 5 to 9 of Psalm 36, which along with Psalm 39 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, October the 18th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus, um, which is, again, not in the Bible itself. It's in the Apocrypha, which is sort of an appendix that's used by some denominations, including the Roman Catholics, the Episcopalians, Anglicans, Lutherans, um, I don't really know who all else, but it's also part of the, it's similarly considered within Judaism, let's say. So in, um, also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 to 16, and then continuing in the book of the Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. So um, we're going to talk about friendship today and being wise about those we have close to us. Um, so that's Ecclesiasticus anyway. I mean, and that's what this that's what this passage is all about today. Has to do with friends and enemies, um, advisors, and all that kind of stuff. How to handle people. Pleasant speech multiplies friends, and a gracious tongue multiplies courtesy. Let those who are friendly with you be many, but let your advisors be one in a thousand. So keep, keep you know make sure that you you have plenty of friends. Be, let those who are friendly with you be many, but let your advisors be one in a thousand. Don't listen to everybody. Be careful about who you bring in close enough to be an advisor to you. When you gain friends, gain them through testing and don't trust them hastily. I think if, if you're over like five, you probably understand that. doesn't mean you practice it, but you understand it because you've been burned somewhere along the way by somebody you thought was your friend but really was not your friend. <clears throat> There are friends who are such when it suits them, but they won't stand by you in the time of trouble. And then there are friends who change into enemies and tell of the quarrel to your disgrace. I've certainly had, you know, hey, I pastored a church. <laughs> I have certainly had that experience where it's like, wow, huh, I, I really thought there was something more to our friendship. I had one guy who absolutely was the biggest. I've never met a liar quite like him, frankly. I've never met somebody who, who was such a stranger to truth in my life. I mean, at one time he was claiming that he had played pro football uh, in the USFL, which was actually Donald Trump used to own a team in the USFL. It's been back in the 80s. Herschel Walker was one of the first draft picks, so that tells you something about how long ago this was. Um, so this guy claimed that he played for them. Well, the problem is he never played even high school ball. I mean, I went back. I wanted to find him because I thought this guy was a friend of mine. So I'm looking him up, and he, I knew where he went to college, uh, he, where he claimed to have played pro football. There's no mention of him anywhere. Didn't, didn't even seem to have been a, a football player even when he was in high school. And, and I don't care, you know, right? I didn't play football in high school either. But, wow, dude. And then he would tell all this other stuff. At one point, he claimed to have had a doctorate degree from somewhere, and and I happened to, in economics, and I happened to see his, quote, diploma one time when I was in his office. Um, later, I began to be suspicious about that because he didn't seem to understand economics very well. So I looked up the school that he went to, and they didn't even give graduate degrees in economics. So he just made it up. They never had. And, and he, but then he began to lie about me. 
and he began to tell incredible falsehoods about all kinds of things. But but he, but to my face, this guy would pretend like we were best friends. But what he was really doing was trying to gather people so that he could go plant his own church, which is what he did. And then it's a long, weird, weird story. There's I, I mean, very, very strange guy, to say the least. Um Anyway, <laughs> and there are friends who sit at your table, but they will not stand by you in the time of trouble. He was one of those guys. When you're prosperous, they become your second self and lord it over your servants. But if you're brought low, they turn against you and hide themselves from you. Certainly seen that. You know, it, it, by pastoring a church, you see this stuff. When, when everything was going great, when we were growing and all that, then, then they had people who were certainly willing to tell other people what to do and to, to kind of act like second-in-command kind of people. And then as soon as there was any kind of difficulty, it was like, where'd you go? You caused a lot of this problem. Where'd you go? So anyway, keep away from your enemies and be on guard with your friends. I mean, I hate to say it. That's, that's actually good advice. I mean, I really, really hate to say that. It's not being cynical. It, it's No, it's being real. It's, it's having experienced life some. You begin to understand it and know that, yeah, you know, okay, we're close friends. I trust you and all that. And I'm going to give you all that trust. But but frequently, there are people that you kind of know that you know that you know that you better keep some things away from. Faithful friends are a sturdy shelter. Whoever finds one has found a treasure. Amen times a thousand. Faithful friends are beyond price. No amount can balance their worth. Amen times a thousand. Faithful friends are life-saving medicine, and those who fear the Lord will find them. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. We, we've been fortunate to be surrounded by some extraordinary people throughout our lives in ministry. It's, it's been such a great blessing to have so many people. And when Will died, we had you know a whole lot of people that we had, had been with over a long period of time who were there, either in Knoxville or here in Asheville when we were here. And, and a huge blessing. And they were all Christians. They were all people that, that we had ministered to, ministered with, whatever. Um, and and so, yes, those who fear the Lord will find them because we have that kind of wisdom. And the people that you come into contact with tend to be actually people who, who are those kinds of friends because they value it as well. And, and they're not using you to get something else. Those who fear the Lord direct their friendship aright, for as they are, so are their neighbors also, which is exactly what I was saying. If we're all seeking the same thing, if we're all seeking the glory of God, then, then ultimately what happens is, is that, that, yeah, as long as we are, are not self-seeking, then, then we're all good. You know, we, we become the same kind of people because we're seeking the same things. And that's such a blessing. It's absolutely such a blessing. I certainly had friends in business who were friends uh, and have been friends for a long time. But but I will also tell you this, every one of them loves the Lord as well. So in the in the gospel today, so Jesus, remember yesterday, passed through the Samaritan village that wouldn't receive him and allow him to spend the night there because he was his face was set towards Jerusalem. And then there were people who, who offered to follow him and then people he asked to follow him and they wouldn't. wouldn't. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others in addition to the 12, and sent them on ahead of him. So this is a large traveling party. I mean, you got Jesus, the 12 disciples, the women, and now these other 72 that he sends ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So they were heralds of the coming of Jesus. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We tend to think the other way around. We tend to think that there's not a great harvest out there. And there really is. He could say this to us in our generation, and, 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 but we hear, we, we feel like it's the other way around. And so we fear being those who go out ahead. And, and that's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to go out ahead of Jesus, who is coming 
soon in judgment. And we fear being sent out like this. But these embraced it. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And we just, we, we should do the same. Because so many Christians won't go out as laborers into the harvest. And we, we, we hang back and we, we neglect to, to go in there. And so we really should be praying for laborers for the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, just go. Go. Travel light. Go. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And resting means remaining. The Greek word is minnow, and it means remain. It's like when the, the dove came down at Jesus' baptism and rested on him, remained on him. So, so the peace will—but but if the person there is not a son of peace, then it'll return to you. So don't worry about it. But, but if you're welcomed there, first say, peace be to this house. So you offer that peace first, and then see what your response is, see, see what you get back. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. So he's told them, don't take a bunch of stuff with you. No, go to these places, declare that, that the peace be upon this house, and if so, then, then that person will receive you into the house. But if not, then you just go on. It'll return, and you just keep going. But if they receive you, stay there, and, and don't apologize for, for um, depending on their hospitality, because a laborer, and you are a laborer, deserves his wages. And that's the wages, is that you're provided for your needs. Don't go from house to house. Don't be a gadfly moving from place to place. No, go one place, and then if other people want to be part of that, then they can come to you. But don't you go from place to place. And it goes back to that Ecclesiasticus passage in some ways is, is that if you found one friend in a place, you're not going to be there long. If you found a person of peace, then stay with that person. Don't make the mistake of going place to place because that could end up going badly. No, if, if the person receives you as a person of peace, then you stay right there and then everything will go well. So whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I mean, what, that, what an incredible thing. Jesus says, okay, go out and go to these places and first offer your peace. And, and if, it, you know, if, if they're a person of peace, then it'll, then it'll remain there. And if not, then you just keep moving on. But, but if you do, then, then go ahead and say this. And then go ahead while you're there, just go ahead and heal the sick. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, uh, okay, I'll do that, and, and say the kingdom of God has come near to you, and the proof that the kingdom of God has come near. It's one thing to make the proclamation. It's another to say, nope, there's the proof. The proof is the healing of the sick among you. But Jesus sent them out with the expectation that they would do exactly that, and I'm going to say it for the millionth time. Why don't we have that expectation? <clears throat> Whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you, which is what they, a typical Jew would do in a Gentile city. They would leave and they would knock it off the feet. You know, no, the sin, your sin is not going to cling to me. Nope. I'm going to knock it off against you. Even the dust we don't want any part of. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So that's the proclamation. They're supposed to say, even the dust that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So you, you, missed, you missed an incredible blessing. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for them. Here we go back to the Sodom thing. Remember yesterday, they wanted to bring down uh, fire on the Samaritan city that refused to welcome Jesus. And, and the time for judgment wasn't then. The time for judgment is later. 
And that's the reason he said, no, don't do that. I didn't come for judgment. So then he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. These are two Jewish cities in which Jesus had had done miracles, signs, and preached. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, a couple of pagan Phoenician cities, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Sort of like, that's, a, that's recollecting Jonah. It's to say, it, you know, if, if I had done these same things with them, they would have reacted like the Babylonians did in the time of Jonah. You didn't. You rejected me. But it would be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. You know, that, that's deeply offensive <laughs> to, to a Jewish consciousness, is to say, these pagans, they're going to have it better in judgment than you are because you rejected the witness that was given to you. And if the witness that I gave to you had given to them, they would have reacted like the Babylonians in the time of Jonah and repented in sackcloth and ashes. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Mm, you'll be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so he says, don't take it personally. It's not you that's being rejected. It's your message, and your message is me. So they're rejecting me. And if they reject me, they reject the Father as well. And so what he's saying to these Jewish places is, is that, that, look, I did all these things for you, and you rejected the Messiah. And when you rejected God's chosen Messiah, then you rejected God himself. And, and it won't go well for you, he says, in the day of judgment. In the Revelation passage, remember yesterday we had just met the 144,000 plus this great multitude from every—now <clears throat> we're going to meet the multitude, but we just met the, the 144,000 from Israel. And now after this, after the 144,000, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Is the first one was a huge bunch of people. It's 12 sets of 12,000, and these are gigantic numbers. They're not intended as literal numbers so much as they're intended as to say these are large numbers of people will be saved. But, you know, billions of people have lived on the earth. So, But now he sees a great multitude that no one could number. So there's 144,000 from, from Israel, but then a great multitude no one could number from the nations that you're going to see here. So you're going to see this much larger group of people from the nations represented here in this passage. And they, and they were standing before the throne. These were from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, that's righteousness, with palm branches in their hands, that's victory, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, salvation belongs to our God is exactly what Jonah declared from the belly of the fish. But now they're pointing not just to God in general, but the God, God who sits on the throne, the one right there. It's kind of what there's, and to the Lamb. And that goes back to Revelation 4 and 5, right? Revelation 4 is when heaven worships the one seated on the throne, and then Revelation 5 is when the Lamb, looking like it was slain, appears before the throne, and now heaven turns its worship to him as well. Not separate from, but in addition to. They recognize that this one, the only one that was found in heaven and on earth or under the earth, who was worthy to take the scroll, that one's worthy of worship too. So they, they worship, and here, that, that's the declaration of this multitude, is, is that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures 
And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the same worship as in uh, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And they're saying it here sort of as the, uh, the chorus to the statement made by the multitude. So when they say amen, they say, yes, let it be exactly like that. Amen and amen. Yes, that's exactly right. And then they add their own blessing, which is the same blessing they had in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. So this chorus now sings the amen to the declaration that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. I mean, it must be a rhetorical question because I don't know who they are. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Love the paradox of making something white in the blood of the Lamb. But but it's that that's exactly right. They, their righteousness comes from being washed in the blood of the Lamb, being covered in the blood of Jesus is what produces these white robes. The, the white like no other a fuller on earth you could get them like you see in the transfiguration and so that's exactly the declaration here is they're the ones who come out of the great tribulation and that word tribulation comes from a, a, a root word the tribula or tribulum and it described a piece of equipment actually and what that piece of equipment did was it ground the wheat and separated the wheat from the chaff and then in it within it was a fan and that fan would then blow all the the light lighter than air stuff it would blow it away and the the wheat would then fall to the ground because it was too heavy for that fan to blow and so that tribulation is a crushing and so when he says the great tribulation we're not sure when that is what this great tribulation is but every generation and every christian goes through some sort of tribulation it's like the refiner's fire. It's those same kinds of images that this is talking about, this great tribulation. John sees these people, and these are the ones who have gone through the persecution that John himself will have to endure, the persecution that Jesus had to endure, that Peter had to endure, that Paul had to endure, that saints throughout the ages have had to endure. And what's interesting is, is we get to our day, and we consider almost anything to be persecution. And we think, oh, this is awful. This is awful. Is this the great tribulation? Is this... No, this is mild compared to what most Christians in many ages have had to go through. Suck it up, buttercup. I mean, that, that's a real thing in our world today is we're not prepared as Christians or as the church to go through real persecution. We've had it so good for so long that we, we think anything difficult counts as tribulation and persecution. We, we've, the church has to get tougher. We need a more muscular Christianity. We need a people to be like Paul, people who are prepared to deal with difficulty because the gospel is that important, and the kingdom of God awaits. But, but the best stuff, like wine, you got to crush grapes, same with olives. you got to crush them and grind them in order to extract the juice from it. And that's what we need to be prepared for, and it's what we need to welcome in our lives in many cases. We don't have to seek it out, but we don't have to run from it either because that's what produces the sweet juice. That's what produces the best is, is that everything else has to be mashed out and nothing else can matter. And then we're truly fit for the kingdom of God. We have to do like Jesus and set our faces toward Jerusalem, and that's the heavenly Jerusalem. And he set his face to Jerusalem knowing that what, what, what 
waited for him there was persecution, death, and the cross. Right? So we have to figure out in our lives, we got to set our face towards that heavenly Jerusalem so that we can persevere. And we have to know and recognize this isn't going to be easy. But what's going to be produced at the end is going to be sweet. He says, therefore, this is who they are. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Do you want to be in that number? I want to be in that number. I want to be one of those. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you want to be that? Is that who you want to be? Because if that's who you want to be, then set your face to that heavenly Jerusalem and don't let anything dissuade you from that. No matter how difficult that path may be, yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Keep that vision in front of you as you pursue the heavenly Jerusalem, but set your face to that heavenly Jerusalem, and at the end, you'll be in that number. You'll be part of that crowd 